Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. Start with a random article, explore it, and then follow the links and see where it takes us. And I'd like to start off this episode by shouting out to Nick, who is our first non-friend person to like us on Facebook. And yeah. I assume our first non-friend listener. <laughs> I Maybe. Don't know, cause I don't know. Have... Maybe just everybody else listened and said, it's not for me. Yeah. This is going but anyway, we'd like to thank him for his listening and his support. And moving on. Right. John, what is your article? A, is it a small town? It's a small town. You guessed it. You got me. And that was without, ladies and gentlemen, any sort of pre-planning. This is not a scripted podcast, which I think like Wikipedia is about as much of a script as we get. Yeah. Even then we kind of deviate, like not deliberately. But just because we mess up, sometimes yeah. we encounter sentences which are very not sentences. Yeah. <laughs> so it gets I, a little weird sometimes. Yeah. But um, the thing about this thing is that uh, the, 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 this article is about Gukos. It's a village. It's located in Lejig's municipality <laughs> in Serbia. And that's the whole article. Wow. That is it. There is no population. There is no indication about what this place is or does. It's just in Serbia. It's wow. in a time zone. Somewhere on Earth. Sounds like a really relevant article. Yep. One that should definitely continue to exist on Wikipedia. Yes. Now, there is an expanded text that could be translated from the corresponding Serbian article, which I might add is, while being mostly pictures, much more informative <laughs> about the same location. Translating it, however, is proving to be a chore. Hmm. It's taking a very long time for it to figure out what Serbian is. <laughs> Google doesn't seem to have very much of an idea. Which is weird, because it's Google. You would think... Nope, page couldn't be translated. Never mind. <laughs> no way to get from Serbian to English. Sorry, guys. Absolutely no translation. Anyway, uh, Eric, you've got to have a better thing going on over there. What? What's yours? Well, today? mine is conservative revolutionary movement. Huh. And That's it was a German national conservative movement prominent oh in the years following the First World War. Oh, no. <laughs> And the conservative revolutionary school of thought advocated a new conservatism and nationalism that was specifically no. German, or Prussian in particular. Like other conservative movements in the same period, they sought to put a stop to the rising tide of liberalism and communism. Communism. Wow. I, yeah. So, yeah. 
The Rise of Conservatism. Conservative Revolutionary Movement. Revolutionary Movement, you say. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. Uh, you know, I guess that's better than small towns, but I'm really going to regret all the Nazi <laughs> crap I'm going to put on my computer history right now. <laughs> like, that is not something I want to be there in this day and age. But hey, here we are. <laughs> Part of a series on conservatism. Well, we're going to get some interesting link options in this one. Yeah. To start out with, we've got lots of German words on the slab. <laughs> so let's dive right in. Yep. The conservative revolutionaries base their ideas on organic... Oh, that sounds familiar. That sounds too familiar. <laughs> Rather than materialistic thinking, so they're, they like organic stuff and they don't like being wasteful. Hmm. <laughs> on quality instead of quantity... So they like things that are in smaller production batches that are rarer, that are more unique. Hmm. And on Volksgemeinschaft, or folk community, <laughs> so they like Volkswagens and folk music, <laughs> rather than class conflict and mob rule, and they do like social justice, are hipsters Nazis? Hmm. That's what I'm getting. That's what I'm getting out of the sentence. You know, maybe. It could be. It makes sense. It literally falls into all of the tenets of conservative mm-hmm. revolutionary movements. <laughs> they probably paint vegetables. Mm, well, that... You know? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they I mean, probably all read Mein Kampf. Yeah. Just as like an ironic thing. For like, sure. Hey, look at me. I'm reading Mein Kampf. That would be super <laughs> ironic, wouldn't it? You know? That's what they want us to believe. <laughs> yeah. See, that's the thing. It's a whole scam. It's just a trick. To yep. get everybody to think that they're normal. But then Slowly, actually... they're just taking over the world. Actually, they're just thinking like Hitler. Yep. That's all they're doing. They're thinking like Hitler, but they're going about it in a much more strategic and long-term way. They're playing the long con. Yep. They're not going to go full dictator. <laughs> Never go full nope. dictator. That was, his, that was Hitler's like, mistake. Nope. We're going to take it slow and infiltrate from the ground up and just kind of infect everybody. It's a scary thought, but I mean, at the same time, yeah, I kind of see it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, These writers produced a uh, profusion of radical nationalistic literature that consisted of war diaries, combat fictional works, political journalism, manifestos, and philosophical treatises outlining their ideas for the transformation of German cultural and political life. They were outraged by liberalism and egalitarianism and rejected the commercial culture of industrial and urban civilization. Oh my god, they are hipsters. (laughs) They they advocated for the destruction of the liberal order by revolutionary means if necessary in order to make way for the establishment of a new order founded on conservative principles. The movement had a wide influence among many of Germany's most gifted youth, universities, and middle classes. Yep. (laughs) Oh, boy. This is... hmm. This is eye-opening. Maybe maybe a little bit scary. Yeah. Maybe something we didn't want to know. But yeah, the term conservative revolution predates the First World War, but the writer Hugo von Hofmannsthal and the political theorist Edgar Julius Jung were 
instrumental in making this term an established concept of the Weimar period. And Thomas Mann used the term to describe Friedrich Nietzsche, whose philosophy greatly influenced many of the thinkers associated with the movement. Initially, Arthur Moeller van den Brock <laughs> was the dominant figure of the conservative revolution in the Weimar Republic. Rejecting reactionary conservatism, he proposed a new state, a Third Reich, mm. <laughs> which would unite all classes under authoritarian rule based on a combination of the nationalism of the right and the socialism of the left. Jung promoted a fascist version of the conservative revolution from the 1920s to the 1930s, which, like fascism, spoke of nations as being singular organic entities, attacked individualism while promoting militarism and war. Hmm. He promoted total mobilization of human and industrial resources as well as promoting the productive power of modernity similar to the futurism espoused by Italian fascism. (laughs) While Carl Schmitt promoted anti-Semitic views, he claimed that he held no fondness towards the national socialism of Adolf Hitler, which he considered to be too vulgar. (laughs) Which is interesting. Uh, Hermann Rochon was typical of the conservative revolutionaries. For Rochon, the conservative revolution meant the pre-war monarchic Christian revolt against modernity that made a devil's pact with Hitler during the Weimar period. (laughs) Yeah, conservative revolutionaries, many of whom were born in the last decade of the 19th century, were all basically formed by their experiences in the First World War. Though a citation is needed, well, actually, a citation is needed for this entire paragraph. Yeah. So, <laughs> just take all of this with a grain of salt. But the war and German revolution was for them a clean break from the past, which left them greatly disillusioned. And first, the experience of the horrors of trench warfare, the filth, the hunger, the negation of heroism to a man's effort to stay alive on the battlefield, and the random death led to many recognizing that there was no meaning to this war or to life itself. They also had to contend with the Dolstas legend, I think. Translated meaning stab in the back legend. <laughs> stab in the back legend of <laughs> the end of the war. Uh, second, in, the, in this... Krigserlebnis. Translation. War. <laughs> war experience. They sought to reestablish the front shaft. Translation. The front line camaraderie. That defined their existence on the war front. They felt like they were like a... They felt they were like a puppet which has to dance for the demonic entertainment of evil spirits which were attracted to nihilist ideas. In their Frosch Perspective writings, they... Translation, Fresh Perspective? (laughs) It's not telling me, but I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and guess that Frosch Perspective is Fresh Perspective. Well, yep, that's probably a good uh, intuition there. Okay. Uh, They sought to give their experience meaning. Mm. So, yeah. 
Oh, so as it turns out, there is some pleasant news about these conservative revolutionaries. In general, they held an ambivalent view of the Nazis, but they didn't really at first consider mm-hmm. themselves Nazis. After 1933, some of the proponents of the conservative revolutionary movement were persecuted by the Nazis, most notably by the SS of Heinrich Himmler, who wanted to prevent reactionaries from opposing or deviating from the Hitler regime in this early time. Uh, Jung would lose his life in the Night of the Long Knives, and this would, for many conservative revolutionaries, end the the alliance between them and the Nazis. Rashong came to the bitter conclusion that the Nazi regime represented anything other than the longed-for German Revolution, and his position was generally, typically, (laughs) of the majority of conservative revolutionaries. Yeah, some of the conservative revolutionary movement members went into anonymity, and some arranged themselves within the new regime and became NSDAP members, and Roshning defected to the West and wrote against the Nazi regime, and then others like Klaus von Stauffenberg remained inside the Reichswehr and later Wehrmacht to silently conspire in the 20th of July plot of 1944. Well, now we know where we're going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Doesn't even one. say what that is Doesn't at all. Matter. But it's a, that's where we're going. <laughs> for the plot, man. You got For to. the plot. The historian Fritz Stern stated that it was a tribute to the genuine spiritual quality of the conservative revolution that the reality of the Third Reich aroused many of them to opposition, sometimes silent, often open and costly. So, is there anybody on this uh, notable people list nope. that actually is notable? There's not. Uh, I mean, there are names that seem notable, but probably because they're just very, very stern, like standard German names. Yes. Yeah. I was like going to say Sturman. Sturman, <laughs> standard German. <laughs> if you see like a Hans or... No, Heidegger. Or, Heidegger's in there. Heidegger. <laughs> he was Heideggering out. Yeah, there's, you know, a lot. There's youngs, there's youngers. Some are young, some are younger. There aren't any olders. Nope. No olds. Nope. So, yep. Why don't we just go to this 20th of July plot and see what it was. What was the plot? Was it a good plot? Was it bad? Did it have a good denouement? Hmm. Oh. So, plot to kill Hitler redirects here. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. So, I guess this is one of the assassination attempts against him. Um, let's see here. So obviously it happened on the 20th of July, 1944. Uh, And yeah, this Klaus von Stauffenberg actually was the big brains of the operation. Um, And him and other conspirators, while inside the Wolf's Lair field headquarters near Rastenburg, East Prussia, attempted to assassinate him. 
and it is called Operation Valkyrie, and it is the movie starring Tom Cruise. Yes. That's essentially what this is. So, very good. The apparent purpose of the assassination attempt was to... Wait, are you seriously going to tell me what the assassination attempt's purpose was? You're <laughs> saying you're trying to kill Hitler. Why do you need to Why make this sense? Why do they want to kill Hitler? Uh, well, okay. Why would they? Right. <laughs> yeah, fair question. Who would want to do that? Um, <laughs> the apparent purpose of the assassination attempt was to seize political control of Germany and its armed forces from the Nazi party, including the SS, in order to obtain peace with the Western allies as soon as possible. The underlying desire of many of the involved high-ranking Wehrmacht officers was apparently to show the world that not all Germans were like Hitler and the Nazi party. Mm. The details of the conspirators' peace initiatives remain unknown, but they likely would have included demands to accept wide-reaching territorial annexations by Germany in Europe. Mm. Four, five, and clarification needed. I don't know. I think that was clear. Uh... The plot was the culmination of the efforts by several groups in the German resistance to overthrow the Nazi-led German government, the failure of both the assassination and the military coup d'etat, which was planned to follow, led to the arrest of at least 7,000 people? It took 7,000 people to conspire against <laughs> one dude to ki- Oh my god. And they weren't even successful. No! That's incredible. That's awful. According to the record of the Fuhrer Conferences on Naval Affairs, 4,980 of those 7,000 were executed. Wow. So that's pretty well, intense. Put into the grand scheme of things, it's not really that many happen. people. <laughs> it's not that bad. Considering that uh, they, you know, kind of executed like millions and millions of people, not much of a drop in the bucket. Yeah, they, uh, so since 1938, conspiratorial groups planning an overthrow of some kind had existed in the German army mm. and in the German military intelligence or- organization. Oh, the German army called Wehrmacht here. Wehrmacht, we're here. <laughs> We're mocked several times now. <laughs> you not answer. Not your answer when we're mocked. <laughs> the military intelligence organization is called Abwehr. And early leaders of these plots included Brigadier General Hans Oster. Glenn Beck? Yeah. <laughs> Field Marshal Erwin von Witzelben. Witzelben. Hmm. As opposed to Big Ben. Witzelben. And Oster was the deputy head of the military intelligence office. Beck was a former chief of staff of the German Army High Command, or the Oberkommando des Heers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And von Witzelben was the former commander of the German First Army and the ger- former commander-in-chief of the German Army Commander in the West, or the Oberbefehlshaber West. <laughs> okay. Oberbefehlshaber West. Yes. <laughs> 
whom they established contacts with several prominent civilians, including Carl Gordeller and former mayor of, who is the former mayor of Leipzig, and Helmuth James Graf Ma- von Mackey, the great grandnephew of the hero of the Franco-Prussian War. Hmm. Military and con- or military conspiratorial groups exchanged ideas with civilian political and intellectual resistance groups in the Kreiserkreis, <laughs> which met at the von Moltke estate in Kreisau and in other secret circles. Moltke was against killing Hitler. Instead, he wanted him placed on trial. Moltke said, We are all amateurs and would only bungle it. <laughs> Moltke also believed killing Hitler would be hypocritical. Hitler and National Socialism had turned wrongdoing into a system, something which the resistance should avoid. Well, good luck taking Hitler to trial. Yeah, that wasn't <laughs> gonna great go so great anyway. I mean, like, is the what's what's that gonna what's the end result of that going to be? Like, if you did, <laughs> is the end result not the death penalty? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's still the death penalty. <laughs> For the crime of killing millions of people, you get the death penalty. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't think you get 20 years in prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no real way to go back from it. No, you think about what you did. Uh, plans to stage an overthrow and prevent Hitler from launching a new world war were developed in 1938 and 1939 but they were aborted because of the indecision of Army Generals Franz Halder and Walter von Brach... Brachus... Brachus... Brach... 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 Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the failure of the Western powers to oppose Hitler's aggression until 1939. So... Basically, they would have been a little easier in making this successful had we jumped into the war a little sooner. Well, I guess it wasn't really a war at the time. Mm, Not quite yet, but soon. But we were just kind of like sitting back like, hey, he's taking over stuff, but we're not going to do anything. Yep. (laughs) We're over here. They're over there. <laughs> Do we have to care? No. <laughs> and then we were attacked. <laughs> In 1942, a new conspiratorial group formed by Colonel Henning von Trexkow, a member of Field Marshal Fedor von Bach's staff, who commanded Army Group Center in Operation Barbosa. Uh systematically recruited oppositionists to the group staff, making it the nerve center of the army resistance. Hmm. Little could be done against Hitler as he was heavily guarded and none of the plotters could get near enough to him. During 1942, Oster and Treskow nevertheless succeeded in rebuilding an effective resistance network at the very least. Their most important recruit was General Friedrich Ulbricht, head of the General Army office headquarters at the Bender Block in central Berlin. He controlled an independent system of communications to reserve units throughout Germany. Linking this asset to Treskow's resistance group 
in Army Group Center created a viable coup apparatus. Hmm. So you just had a couple of rogue generals that were just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, sure, have the communications network. It's, I mean, it's not like we're using it yeah. that much anyway. <laughs> it's fine. It's kind of interesting that they are, like, talking about a lot of not 20th of July plot stuff. Just talking about plots in general. Yep, they're just talking about building up to that one day when they actually did a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and then in late 1942, uh, Treskow and Ulbricht formulated a plan to assassinate Hitler and stage an overthrow during Hitler's visit to the headquarters of Army Group Center at Smolensk in March 1943 by placing a bomb on his plane. Operation Spark. <laughs> ah. And the bomb failed to detonate. Rats. And a second attempt a week later with Hitler at an exhibition of captured Soviet weaponry in Berlin also failed, though we don't know the particulars of that one. Uh, these failures demoralized the conspirators. And during 1943, Treskow tried without success to recruit senior army field commanders such as Field Marshal Eric von Man Manstein hmm. and Field Marshal Gerd von Rundstedt to support a seizure of power. And Treskow in particular worked on his commander-in-chief of Army Group Center, Field Marshal Gunther von Klug to persuade him to move against Hitler and at times succeeded in gaining his consent only to find him indecisive at the last minute. What a jerk. And however, despite their refusals, none of the field marshals reported their treasons, treasonous activities to this Gestapo or Hitler. Now why did they kill Hitler? I'm stuck with this again. Okay. Well, the main goals was to remove Hitler from power for obvious reasons, but also because Hitler didn't really believe in or understand democratic ideas. It's amazing how often not understanding something and believing and not believing in something go hand in hand. Um, Martin Borschott writes that the plot was mainly done by conservative elites who were initially integrated by the Nazi government, but during the war lost their influence and they were pretty concerned about getting that back <laughs> so they started out as rich people they lost their riches they lost their ability to influence things and they were kind of like hmm this has not gone as well for us as we were hoping let's kill Hitler <laughs> now there's also a bit of a thing about Poland hmm. the overall goals towards Poland were mixed within the plotters. Most of the plotters found it desirable to restore the old German borders from 1914, while others pointed out that the demands are unrealistic and amendments have to be made. Mm. Some, like Friedrich Werner Graf von der Schulenberg, <laughs> even saw all of Poland annexed to Germany. Mm. To Poland, which was fighting as an ally with both its army and government in exile, the vast territorial demands and traditional nationalistic visions of resistance made the plotters lose all credibility mm. and Poles saw little difference between them and the racist policies of Hitler. <laughs> Stauffenberg, as one of the leaders of the plot, 
stated five years before the coup in 1939 during the Poland campaign about Poles and Poland that it is essential that we begin a systematic colonization in Poland. But I have no fear that this will not occur. So the Polish were a little... They weren't so hot with the resistance either. That's weird. Yeah. I think, you know, being the first invaded country would be like, hey, let's do something about this. Yeah, but... No. Turns out they were all too okay with being invaded, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Involvement in war, crimes, and atrocities. There's a lot that these people were involved in. As far as war crimes go, uh, plotters like Treskow and Gerstdorf were aware of mass murder happening in the East from at least 1941, especially with reference to the murder of the Jews. The SS had deceived the officers by killing in secret, filing incomplete reports or none at all. If general staff officers protested, the SS threatened them. Uh, Treskow also signed orders for the deportation of thousands of orphaned children for forced labor in the Reich. Such actions lead historians to question the motives of the plotters, which seem to worry more about the military situation than the Nazis' atrocities and German war crimes. However, some others assert that in such actions, Treskow had to act out of principle to continue with his coup plans. Hmm. I guess that's kind of true. Like, yeah. You've already infiltrated it to the extent where you've reached the rank of chief bad dude. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody says, hey, chief bad dude, do a bad thing. And you're like, sweating bullets, and you're just kind of like, <laughs> I wasn't actually expecting you to ask me to do a bad dude thing, but I guess I have to now? Yeah. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to keep this up if I don't? Like, what do you, what are you supposed to do? Can't get close enough to assassinate Hitler without having to. Are you a bad you enough know. dude to kill the president? <laughs> it's like you know in uh, Twenty Four when Jack has to infiltrate his old gang and he's like, "Hey, yeah. get me a hacksaw," and then he cuts off the guy's head and he's like, "Hey, just gotta do what I gotta do." Yep, that's exactly the same. <laughs> that's exactly what this was. <laughs> this was an episode of Twenty Four. <laughs> And it was the hardest day of <laughs> Traxburg's life. Now that would be a good 24 miniseries event. They're Assassinating just, Hitler. Yep. <laughs> they just put a, a Jack Bauer in time machine, send him back, and then he tries to assassinate Hitler. I'm pretty sure that's what Glorious Bastards is. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but Jack Bauer will do it in a day. That's true. <laughs> that's true. It won't take anywhere near as long. The planning will be flawless. <laughs> And you won't even need a bathroom break. Nope. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, so in 1943, the tide of war was already turning against Germany. And this is when they decided to begin their plot here. <laughs> and got Stauffenberg on board. Um, in August of 1943, Treskow met young Stauffenberg and uh, he was badly wounded and he was a zealous German nationalist and a Roman Catholic and then they came to share 
two basic convictions with many military officers that Germany was being led to disaster and that Hitler's removal from power was necessary. And so, um, despite his religious scruples, uh, Stauffenberg decided that the Fuhrer's assassination was a necessary evil, basically. Um, it was, you know, better than Hitler being in power. So, um, that's when they took off and Stauffenberg began planning his assassination attempt. And for that operation, Operation Valkyrie, um, uh, it was uh, to be used in the event that the disruption caused by the Allied bombing of German cities caused a breakdown in law and order. Um, and for an, or an uprising by the millions of forced laborers from occupied countries now being used in German factories. And Albrecht, Albrecht uh, suggested that his plan could be used to mobilize the reserve army for purpose of the coup. And in August and September of 1943, Trescal drafted the revised Valkyrie plan and new supplementary orders. And the secret declaration began with these words. The Fuhrer Adolf Hitler is dead. A treacherous group of party leaders has attempted to exploit the situation by attacking our embattled soldiers from the rear in order to seize power for themselves. And detailed instructions were written for occupation of German ministries in Berlin and Himmler's headquarters in East Prussia, radio stations and telephone offices, and other Nazi apparatus through military districts and concentration camps. And previously, it was believed that Stauffenberg was mainly responsible for the Valkyrie plan, but documents recovered by the Soviet Union after the war and released in 2007 suggest that the plan was actually developed by Treskow in autumn of 1943. So, maybe Stauffenberg wasn't behind all this. And all written information was handled by Treskow's wife, Erica, and by Margaret von Owen. Oven. Oven? Oven. Oven. <laughs> Margaret Oven, his secretary. Marge Oven. <laughs> uh, but both women wore gloves to avoid leaving fingerprints. And on at least two other occasions, Treskow had tried to assassinate the Fuhrer. The first plan was to shoot him during dinner at the army base camp, but this plan was aborted because it was widely believed that Hitler wore a bulletproof vest, which would kind of put a kink in the plan. And the conspirators also considered poisoning him, but this wasn't possible because his food was specially prepared and tasted. And this left a time bomb as the only option. And Operation Valkyrie could only be put into effect by General Frederick Fromm, commander of the Reserve Army. So he must either be won over to the conspiracy or in some way neutralized if the plan was to succeed. 
Fromm, like many senior officers, knew in general about the military conspiracies against Hitler, but neither supported them nor reported them to the Gestapo. So, yeah. Here we go. Yeah. During uh, 1943 and early 1944, von Treskow and von Stauffenberg organized at least four attempts to get one of the military conspirators near enough to Hitler for long enough to kill him with hand grenades, bombs, or a revolver. (laughs) In March 1943, by Rudolf Christoph Freiherr von Gerstorff. In late November 1943, by Axel Freiherr von dem Busch Steithorst. <laughs> Axel Freiherr sounds like a really good like metal hair metal band. game. <laughs> hair metal name. Alex Free Axel Freiherr. Uh, in February 1944, by Ewald Heinrich von Kleistmezen. And on the 11th of March 1944, by Eberhard Freiherr von Book. All have bonds. And they, a lot of them have one. free hairs. There are a lot of free hairs <laughs> yeah, in free here. Hairs. Yeah. Uh, as the situation deteriorated, Hitler no longer appeared in public and rarely visited Berlin. Mm. He spent most of his time at his headquarters in the Wolfslayer near Ratzenberg in East Prussia, with occasional breaks at his Bavarian mountain retreat, Ober Salzburg near Berchtesgaden. In both places, he was heavily guarded and rarely saw people he did not know or trust. Himmler and the Gestapo were increasingly suspicious of plots against Hitler and rightly suspected the officers of the general staff, which was indeed the source of many conspiracies against Hitler. Mm. Now or never, whatever the cost. As by the end of 1944, the Gestapo was closing in on the conspirators. There was a sense that time was running out, both on the battlefield where the Eastern Front was in full retreat and where the Allies had landed in France on the 6th of June and in Germany where the resistance's room for maneuver was rapidly contracting. The conspirators scored a major boost in early July when they managed to initiate Erwin Rommel, the famed Desert Fox, into their ranks. Rommel was by far the most popular officer in Germany and was also the first active duty duty field marshal to lend support to the plot. Witzelbein had been inactive since 1942, although Rommel felt he had to, as he put it, come to the rescue of Germany, he thought killing Hitler would make him a martyr. Like some others, he wanted Hitler arrested and hauled before a court-martial for his many crimes. Rommel was not directly involved in any resistance operations, but he had explicit knowledge of the plot to dispose Hitler Mm. and withheld information from him. When Stauffenberg sent Treskow a message through Lieutenant Heinrich Graf von Leidhard Steinhortz asking whether there was any reason for trying to assassinate Hitler given that no political <laughs> purpose would be served, Treskow's response was, the assassination must be attempted. Kut ke kut. Whatever the cost, even if it fails, <laughs> we must take action in Berlin for the practical purpose no longer matters. What matters now is that the German resistance movement must take the plunge before the eyes of the world and of history. Compared to that, nothing Mm. else matters. Himmler 
had at least one conversation with a known oppositionalist in August 1943, Prussian finance minister Johannes Poppitz was involved, who was involved in Gordeller's work network, came to see him and offered him the support of the opposition if he would make a move to displace Hitler and secure a negotiated end to the war. Nothing came of this meeting, but Poppitz was not immediately arrested, although he was later executed towards the end of the war. And Himmler apparently did not do anything to track down the resistance network, which he knew was operating somewhere within the state bureaucracy. It is possible that Himmler, who by the late 1943 knew that the war was unwinnable, allowed the plot to go ahead in the knowledge that if it succeeded, he would be Hitler's successor and could then bring about a peace settlement. Hmm. Which isn't isn't the worst idea. Yeah. I guess, but, uh... Yeah, I feel like, uh... Trying all this stuff a little late in the game. Yeah, like... like, Hey, this war's already kind of winding down, and you can tell they're, like, gonna lose. And then they're like, Alright, time for an assassination attempt. I mean, they had been trying, but... I guess he, he was like, You know what? We need to actually try one of these ones that we've been planning just to say that we at least tried something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I get I get what they were trying to do. It was trying to be like a symbolic gesture to the rest of the world, like hey, not all of Germany wanted this. Look. Yeah. <laughs> but turns out not all of Hitler wanted this either. <laughs> and looking at these pictures here, Tom Cruise wasn't a bad fit for uh, Stauffenberg. You know, I was just about to say that. <laughs> it's actually quite yeah. quite on point, really. Yeah. I mean, usually they, like, glorify these dudes, but <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Stauffenberg was yeah. a young, young-looking dude. Not too far off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exciting countdown to... Final countdown. <laughs> countdown to Stauffenberg's attempt. So... On July 1st in 1944, he was appointed to Chief of Staff, and um, this position enabled him to attend Hitler's military conferences, either at the Wolfslayer or at Berchtesgaden. 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 Yeah. And then he would have the opportunity and um, then perhaps the last that would present itself to kill Hitler with a bomb or a pistol and meanwhile new key allies had been gained and so these included Karl Heinrich von Stupnagel Stupnagel Stupnagel. <laughs> Stupnagel, okay. And uh, he was the German military commander in France, and he would take control of Paris when Hitler was killed, and it was hoped negotiate an immediate armistice with the invading Allied armies. So that's between... That's like uh, the first week in July. And then the second week... The plot was fully prepared, 
and General Steiff was to kill Hitler at a display of new uniforms at Klesheim Castle near Salzburg. And um, then Steiff kind of, you know, wussed out and felt unable to kill Hitler. And then Steiffenberg's like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it all. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys. I'm just going to do it myself. I'll just do it. <laughs> and so he was uh, going to assassinate Hitler wherever he was and to manage the plot in Berlin. And so on the 14th of July, Stauffenberg attended Hitler's conferences carrying a bomb in a briefcase. But because the conspirators had decided that Heinrich Himmler and Hermann Göring should be killed simultaneously if the planned mobilization of Operation Valkyrie was to have a chance to succeed, he held back at the last minute because Himmler was not present. And in fact, it was unusual for Himmler to attend military conferences. So, that's a little kink there. And then, on the 15th of July, the next day, um, Stauffenberg again flew to the wolf's lair. And then the plan was for Stauffenberg to plant the briefcase with the bomb in Hitler's conference room with a timer running and then excuse himself from the meeting and then wait for the explosion and then fly back to Berlin and join the other plotters at the Bendler block. And then Operation Valkyrie would be mobilized, the reserve army would take control of Germany, and the other Nazi leaders would be arrested. And Beck would be appointed provisional head of state, Gordeler would be a chancellor, and Witzelben would be commander-in-chief of the armed forces. But then, again, it was called off at the last minute. Himmler and Goring were present, but Hitler was called out of the room at the last moment, and Stauffenberg was able to intercept the bomb and prevent its discovery. And man, I need to watch this movie again. Forgot how intense it is. And then on the 17th of July, Erwin Rommel's staff car was strafed by a Spitfire in France. The field marshal was hospitalized with major head injuries, and after that hospitalization, he returned home to meet his wife. And Hitler later discovered that Rommel had known the assassination plans and had accepted them. But since Rommel was extremely popular, Hitler did not dare to prosecute him in court and forced him instead to commit suicide with a cyanide capsule, which he did on 14th of October, 1944, and in return, Rommel's family had not been persecuted. Hmm. Poor Rommel. Yeah, that's a shame. But then, here we go. Here's the big one. 20 July. 20 July. Operation Valkyrie initiated. (laughs) On the 18th of July, 1944, rumors reached Stauffenberg that the Gestapo had wind of the conspiracy and that he might be arrested at any time. This was apparently not true, but there was a sense that the net was closing in and that the next opportunity to kill Hitler must be taken because there might not be another. At 10 on 
July 20th, Stauffenberg flew back to the Wolfschnaz for another Hitler military conference, once again with a bomb in his briefcase. The conference took place in the main room of the Wolf's Lair instead of the underground bunker due to the hot weather. At around 12.30, as the conference began, Stauffenberg made an excuse to use a washroom in Wilhelm Keitel's office where he used pliers to crush the end of a pencil detonator inserted into a one-kilogram block of plastic explosive wrapped in brown paper that was prepared by Vessel von Freytag Loringhoven. The detonator consisted of a thin copper tube containing copper chloride that would take about 10 minutes to silently eat through the wire holding back the firing pin from the percussion cap. It was slow going due to war wounds that had cost Stauffenberg an eye, his right hand, and two fingers on his left hand. Interrupted by a guard knocking on the door advising him that the meeting was about to begin, he was not able to prime the second bomb, which he gave to his aide-de-camp, Werner von Heften. Stauffenberg placed the single primed bomb inside his briefcase and, with the unwitting assistance of Major Ernst John von Freyend, entered the conference room containing Hitler and 20 officers positioning the briefcase under the table near Hitler. After a few minutes, Stauffenberg received a planned telephone call and left the room. It is presumed that Colonel Heinz Brandt, who was standing next to Hitler, used his foot to move the briefcase aside by pushing it between the leg of the conference table, thus unwittingly defecting the blast from Hitler, but causing his own death with the loss of one of his legs and when the bomb detonated. Between 12.40 and 12.50, the bomb detonated, demolishing the conference room. Three officers and the stenographer were seriously injured and died soon after. Hitler survived, as did everyone else who was shielded from the blast by the conference table leg. Hitler's trousers were singed and tattered. See photograph below. And he suffered from a perforated eardrum, as did most of the other 24 people in that room. Had the second block of explosive been used, it is probable that everyone present would have been killed. However, only four were killed in the room. Mm. So close. The escape from the wolf slayer and flight to Berlin. Stauffenberg was seen leaving the conference building by Kurt Salterberg, a soldier on guard duty who did not consider this out of the ordinary as attendees sometimes left to collect documents. He then saw a massive cloud of smoke, wood splinters, and paper, and men being hurled through a window (laughs) and door. Stauffenberg, upon hearing the explosion and seeing the smoke, assumed that Hitler was dead. He then climbed into a staff car with his aide, Werner von Haften, and managed to bluff his way past three checkpoints to exit Mm. the Wolfschnaz complex. Werner von Haften then tossed the second unprimed bomb into the forest as they made a dash for Rastenberg Airfield, Mm. reaching it before it could be realized that Stauffenberg could be responsible for the explosion. By 1300, he was airborne in a Heichel HE-111, arranged by General Eduard Wagner. By the time Stauffenberg's aircraft reached Berlin at about 1600, General Eirich Feigelbell, an officer of the, at the Wolfschnaz who was in one, in on the plot, had phoned the Bendlerblock and told the plotters that Hitler had survived the explosion. As a result, the massive, the plot to mobilize Operation Valkyrie would have no chance of succeeding once the officers of the reserve army knew that Hitler was alive. Hmm. There was more confusion 
when Stauffenberg's aircraft landed and he phoned from the airport to say that Hitler was in fact dead. The Bendlerblock plotters did not know whom to believe. Finally, at 1600, Ulbricht issued the war orders for Operation Valkyrie to be mobilized. The, the facilitating General Fromm, however, phoned Field Marshal Wilhelm Keitel at the Wolf Slayer and was assured that Hitler was alive. Keitel ma- demanded to know Stauffenberg's whereabouts. This told Fromm that the plot had been traced to his headquarters and that he was in mortal danger. Fromm replied that he thought Stauffenberg was with Hitler. Meanwhile, Karl Heinrich von Stupnagel, military governor of occupied France, managed to disarm the SD and the SS and captured most of their leadership. <laughs> he traveled to Gunther von Kluge's headquarters and asked him to contact the Allies, only to be informed that Hitler was still alive. <laughs> at 1640, Stauffenberg and Heiften arrived back at the Benderblock. Fromm, presumably to protect himself, changed sides and attempted to have Stauffenberg arrested. Albrecht and Stauffenberg restrained him at gunpoint, and Albrecht then appointed General Eirich Hopner to take over his duties. By this time, Himmler had taken charge of the situation and had issued orders countermanding Ulbricht's mobilization of Operation Valkyrie. In many places, the coup was going ahead, led by officers who believed that Hitler was dead. City commandant and conspirator General Paul von Haas ordered the WAC Battalion... WAC gr- Battalion. The WAC Battalion. <laughs> Grobdustland. Under the command of Major Otto Ernst Remmer to secure the Wilhelmstab and arrest Propaganda Minister Josef Goebbels. In Vienna, Prague, and many other places, troops occupied Nazi party offices and arrested Gellers and SS officers. You know, one thing about the movie is even though you know this obviously will not succeed. Yes. You still are like, maybe they're going to do it. <laughs> it looks like they're doing it. They're, they're getting really it. close. They're doing happen. it. It's happening. Like, how could this not happen? It's happening. But it doesn't happen. It doesn't. <laughs> so disappointing. Yeah. It's such a letdown. You just want history to be different, but it's not. Yep. It's like all the luck in the world was wasted on Hitler. <laughs> uh, but then the coup fails. At around 1800, which would be about 6 p.m., the commander of the military district, Verkreis III, Berlin, General Joachim von Kurzfleisch, was summoned to the Benderblock. He angrily refused Ulbricht's orders, kept shouting, The Fuhrer is alive! was arrested and held under guard. General Karl von Thugen, Thungen was appointed in his place but proved to be of little help. General Fritz Lindemann was supposed to be to make a proclamation to the German people over the radio failed to appear and as he held the only copy Beck had to work on a new one and the decisive moment came at 1900 or uh, 7 o'clock when Hitler was sufficiently recovered to make phone calls he called Goebbels at the propaganda ministry Goebbels arranged for Hitler to speak to Major Remmer 
and commander of the troops surrounding the ministry. After assuring him that he was still alive, Hitler ordered Remmer to regain control of the situation in Berlin. And then Major Remmer ordered his troops to surround and seal off the Bender block, Bendler block, but not to enter the buildings. And at 20... Uh, 20 hundred. Is that how you... 20? 2,000. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've never heard anybody say that. 20 o'clock. Because, <laughs> you know, they say, like, I hear, like, 2,200, but I never heard of... 20 hundred. 20 hundred. 2,000. 2,000 o'clock. <laughs> uh, let's just make it easy. 8 o'clock. Uh, furious Witzelben arrived at the Bendler block and had a bitter argument with Stauffenberg, who was still insisting that the coup could go ahead. Witzelben left shortly afterwards. At around this time, the planned seizure of power in Paris was aborted when Field Marshal Gunther von Klug, who had recently been appointed Commander-in-Chief of the West, learned that Hitler was alive. And as Reimer regained control of the city and word spread that Hitler was still alive, the less resolute members of the conspiracy in Berlin began to change sides. Fighting broke out in the Bender blo- Bendler block. Man, it's hard to get word. that L in there. It doesn't matter how many times you say it. <laughs> uh, between officers supporting and opposing the coup, and Stauffenberg was wounded again. Uh, by 11 p.m., Fromm had regained control, hoping by a show of zealous loyalty to save himself. Beck, realizing the situation was hopeless, shot himself, the first of many suicides in the coming days. And although at first Beck only just managed to seriously wound himself, he was shot in the neck by soldiers. Fromm convened an impromptu court-martial consisting of himself, the sentenced Ulbricht, Stauffenberg, Heiften, and another officer, Albrecht Mertz von Quernheim, to death. And at 10 on July... That is 10 minutes. <laughs> right, that one. <laughs> Actually, just 10. Yeah, yeah, this time. yeah. Uh, on the 21st of July, they were executed in the courtyard outside, possibly to prevent them from revealing Fromm's involvement. And others would have been executed as well, but at 30, SS personnel led, to, led by Otto Skorzeny arrived and further executions were forbidden. Hmm. It looks like in uh, there are alternate possibilities here. So, um, in 2005, the military channels show Unsolved History had an episode about killing Hitler, and it recreated uh, each scenario using live explosives and test dummies, and the results supported the conclusion that Hitler would have been killed had any of three other scenarios occurred. If both bombs had detonated if the meeting was held inside Hitler's bunker, or if the briefcase was not moved. So it was really just a horrible stroke of luck that the, you know, 
like, you know, their plans had slightly changed. Um, but had Hitler, in fact, been killed by the plotters, some historians argue that the plot would have unfolded and failed in relatively the same fashion. But with Hermann Göring taking Hitler's place and in turn ordering Major Remmer to switch sides and arrest the plotters. And a Nazi state under Göring, however, would have differed from a Hitler regime in being more receptive to peace with the Allies and might also have cleaned house of several fanatical Nazis, including many senior SS and Nazi party leaders. Afterwards, over the following weeks, Himmler's Gestapo, driven by a furious Hitler, <laughs> there should be a, Fur- a, a furious, <laughs> a furious, too fast, too furious. Uh, oh man, that's a new franchise. There, there we go. There it is. Hitler <laughs> replaces Dominic assassination Toretto. Attempts on <laughs> All done by Vin Diesel and crew. Yep. He plays uh, Stauffenberg and whoever else. Yep. Uh, the following day saw that uh, lots of people r- rounded up nearly uh, were rounded up pretty quick. Nearly everybody who had even the remotest connection with the plot was taken into custody. The discovery of letters and diaries in the homes and offices of those arrested reveals the plots of 1938. 1939 and 1943 Mm. and this led to further rounds of arrests including that of Franz Halder who finished the war in a concentration camp under Himmler's new Sippenhaft blood guilt laws (laughs) all the relatives of the principal plotters were also arrested Mm. more than 7,000 were arrested and 4,980 were executed not all of them were connected to the plot since the Gestapo used the occasion to settle scores with many other people suspected of opposition sympathies Alfons Heck (laughs) former Hitler youth member and later a historian describes the reaction many Germans felt to the punishments of the conspirators quote When I heard the German officers had tried to kill Adolf Hitler, I was enraged. I fully concurred with the sentences imposed on them. Strangling, I felt, was too good for them. This was the time, precisely, when we were at a very precarious military situation, and the only man who could possibly stave off the disaster was Adolf Hitler. That opinion was shared by many Germans, Germans who did not adore Hitler, who did not belong to the Nazi party. The British radio also named some possible suspects who had yet to be implicated but then were arrested. Very few of the plotters tried to escape or to deny their guilt when arrested. Those who survived interrogation were given perfunctory trials before the People's Court or the Volksgerichtshof, a kangaroo court that always decided in favor of the prosecution. <laughs> the court's president, Roland Freisler, was a fanatical Nazi seen shouting furiously and insulting the accused in the trial, which was filmed for propaganda purposes. (laughs) The officers involved in the plot were tried before the Court of Military Honor, a drumhead court-martial that merely considered the evidence 
furnished to it by the Gestapo before expelling the accused from the army in disgrace and handing them <laughs> over to the People's Court, which again was the thing with the guy who yelled a lot that wasn't a real court <laughs> that just found in favor of killing you. So, the first trials were held on August 7th and 8th of 1944. Hitler had ordered that those found guilty should be hanged like cattle. Many people took their own lives prior to that, to either their trial or their execution, that is, including Kluge, who was accused of having knowledge of the plot beforehand and not revealing it to Hitler. Stupnagel also tried to commit suicide, but survived and was hung. Hmm. Now, how... How do you execute, like, 5,000 people? Like, that's... Do you have to just do it in shifts? Like... Alright, like five at a time, maybe like ten at a time. I don't or do know. you just send them all to like different you're, places? You're thinking about this you're thinking about this in the country that like created the concentration camp. I think yeah, they that's had some true. Maybe they just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. They did have mass murder machines. They did. <laughs> they knew how to just put people in a room and get rid of them. Yeah, I guess so. That's very true. While Stupnagel was being treated, he blurted out Rommel's name, which, um, hmm, they have a, they have a thing? Uh, a few <laughs> days later, Stupnagel's personal advisor, Caesar von Hoff- Hoffaker, admitted under gruesome torture that Rommel was an active member of the conspiracy. The extent to which Rommel had been involved has been debated, but many historians have concluded that he at least knew of the plot, even if he wasn't involved directly. Hitler, however, knew it was ca- it would cause a major scandal to have the popular Rommel branded as a traitor. With this in mind, blah blah blah, he committed suicide. Uh, <laughs> Treskow was also somebody who killed himself the day after the failed plot. In fact, he used a hand grenade in no man's land between Russia and German lines. According to post-war reflections of Fabian von Schaubendorf, Treskow said the following before his death, quote, The whole world will vilify us now, but I am still totally convinced that we did the right thing. Hitler is the archenemy, not only of Germany, but of the world. When, in few hours' time, I go before God to account for what I have done and left undone, I know I will be able to justify what I did in the struggle against Hitler. None of us can bewail his own death. Those who consented to join our circle put on the robe of Nessus. A human being's moral integrity begins when he is prepared to sacrifice his life for his convictions. That last sentence is actually pretty profound. That's, yeah. Fromm's attempt to win favor by executing Stauffenberger and others of the night of 20th of July's plot had merely exposed his own previous lack of action and apparent failure to report the plot. Having been arrested on the 21st of July, Fromm was later convicted and sentenced to death by the People's Court. There's a surprise. Despite (laughs) his knowledge of the conspiracy, his formal sentence charged him with poor performance in his duties. He was executed in Brandenburg on der Havel. Hitler personally commuted his death sentence from hanging to the more honorable firing squad. Mm. Cute. (laughs) Erwin Planck, the son of the famous physicist Max Planck, was executed for his involvement. The Kaltenbrunner report to Adolf Hitler, dated in the 29th of November 1944, on the background of the plot, states that the Pope was somehow a conspirator, (laughs) specifically naming Eugenio Pacelli, Pope Pius XII, as being a party in the attempt. Evidence indicates that the plotters from the 20th of July 
Colonel Vessel von Freytag, Colonel Erwin von Lauhausen, and Admiral Wilhelm Canaris were involved in the foiling of Hitler's alleged plot to kidnap <laughs> or murder Pope Pius XII in 1943. When Canaris oh reported the plot to Italian counterintelligence officer General Caesar Amy, who passed it on as information. A member of the SA, convicted of participating <laughs> in the plot, was Wolf Heinrich Graf von Heldorf, who was the Orpo police chief of Berlin and had been in contact with members of the resistance since before the war. Collaborating closely with Nebe, he was supposed to direct all police forces in Berlin to stand down and not interfere in the military actions to seize the government. However, his actions on the 20th of July had little influence on the events. For his involvement in the conspiracy, he was later arrested, committed of treason, and killed. On the 3rd of February, 1945, when Freisler was killed in an American air raid, there were no more formal trials. But as late as April, with the war weeks away from its end, Canaris' diary was found, and many more people were implicated. Executions continued until the very last days of the war. Hitler took his survival to be a divine moment in history, and commissioned a special decoration to be made. The result was the Wound Badge. 20 of July 1944, which Hitler awarded to those who were with him in the conference room at the time. This badge was stuck, struck in three values, gold, silver, and black, with a total of 100 badges. And 47 are believed to have been awarded, along with an ornate award document for each recipient personally signed by Hitler, making them among the rarest decorations to have been awarded by Nazi Germany. So we kind of had a similar moment to uh, Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction, where he believes it's divine intervention. Yeah. But he kind of takes a different direction and doesn't really. <laughs> yeah. Instead, he makes, it into a, he makes it into an award. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little different. A little changed. <laughs> For his role in stopping the coup, Major Remmer was promoted to colonel and ended the war as a major general. After the war, he co-founded the Socialist Reich Party and remained a prominent neo-Nazi and advocate of Holocaust denial <laughs> until his death in 1997. Uh. Philip von Boslager, the German officer who prom provided the plastic explosives used in the bomb, escaped detection and survived the war. He was the second to last survivor of those involved in the plot and died on May the 1st, 2008, age 90. The last survivor of the 20th of July plot was Ewald Heinrich von Kleismans, the thwarted plotter of just a few months before. He died March 8th, 2013, also at the age of 90. As a result of the failed coup, every member of the Wehrmacht was required to re-swear his loyalty oath by name to <laughs> Hitler, and on the 24th of July, 1944, the military salute was replaced throughout the armed forces with the Hitler salute, in which the arm was outstretched and the salutation Heil Hitler was given. Wait, so, all those didn't start wait. happening until that late? <laughs> what? Really? Oh, I guess maybe, like, symbolically, the Heil Hitler had to exist before that. Yeah, but... it had to have. But I, I guess it officially replaced whatever thing they had in place before that. Mm. 
Hmm. Yeah, like, I mean, like, officially they had another military salute, right. but this was, a, like, the Hitler salute was around since at least 1933. That's the first thing that if you yeah. go to the Hitler salute, you see that <laughs> a picture of a rally in 1933 of the people doing Hitler salute. Like, it was going on for a bit. Yeah. It just wasn't the official military one. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, setting new records every week here on Wikipedia Chronicles. Yes, we are. Two articles. Two. We've done it. For the first time. (laughs) Just two. (laughs) So, yep, there you have it. From conservative revolutionary movement to 20 July plot. So, visit facebook.com. Uh, slash TWC podcast. Give us a like and follow. Head over to iTunes, rate and review us, and check out twc.ericturibio.com for new episodes. And I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song, and Tim Brim and his Black Devils Orchestra for our outro song. Hmm. This All is right. episode fifty, so wow. we're almost uh, around the bend. Yep. Over the hill. A couple more weeks and be a whole year. Wow. So, yep. Uh, So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. See, I think that's the thing with Nazis. We want to keep it tidy. You want to start out, like, going into it, and then you want to have an article that pulls you right back out of it. It's like something that ends the Nazis or, like, goes against. Go go into the Nazis. And then... Assassination attempts and going out of the Nazis. And that's the best way to do it is like to be like people were interested, and then they very worked. Yeah. <laughs> like to have that immediate just like firing right back out. That's the way to do Nazis. Yeah.